Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Welcome, friends, to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and we have another great episode for you this week as I had the opportunity to sit down with Scott Sauls. Scott is the senior pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. And prior to Nashville, Scott served at Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City with Tim Keller as a lead and preaching pastor, and he also planted two churches. Scott has written a number of books, including his latest, entitled Irresistible Faith. On this week's episode, Scott and I explore why healthy community is so important for us as ministry leaders. We discuss the power of transparency, how to lead with humility, and why we should have some close friends whom we can trust to speak honestly into our lives. Scott also shares an insightful story about what he learned from Tim Keller on handling criticism. It's a story that you're not going to want to miss. So let's get started with my conversation with Scott Sauls. Scott, thank you for being with us today. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. It's great being with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, brother. Um, I want to start. One of the great tensions that we wrestle with, not only as ministry leaders, but as just general Christ followers, right? As Christ followers, is this sense that we should have it all together much more than we often feel we do, right? And I think, you know, when we start off in ministry as, as pastors, as ministry leaders, when we start off, man, I think we often feel really excited about um, who we are going to become in Christ and, and what our ministry is going to look like. And then at some point down the road, we kind of look around and realize that things have not necessarily unfolded quite, quite the way that we might have imagined. And mm. so how do we reconcile these feelings of being excited about what um, our lives are going to look like, and then kind of the reality that sets in um, as we're journeying with Jesus. Uh, specifically as Christians or specifically as pastors and leaders or either direction? I think either direction. Um, I, I, either direction sure. would be great. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that really the same answer can be applied to both, that uh, whenever we're at the beginning of a journey and of a dream and of, of a vision, uh, whether it's new life in Christ and, you know, dreaming of becoming the very best version of, of who we can be because of the influence of Christ and the Holy Spirit in our lives, or maybe being a certain kind of leader of a certain kind of ministry, I think we always, uh, on some level, at some point, are going to experience disappointment. Uh, either we will not arrive ever at what we had once dreamed we would be or become, and that feels disappointing, or we get to the place that we dreamed of, and we realize that it's not as terrific as we thought it was, um, that that there are just as many struggles and just as many demons to to battle, you know, no matter what our life situation or what our, what our ministry looks like. But I, I think that internally the heart work that, that needs to be done maybe ahead of time before we even embark on our journey as leaders or our journey as grow, as those who are growing as followers of Christ, uh, I think we need to 
really nurture and nourish and strengthen our hearts with the biblical story, which is reminding us over and over and over again that we have this version or picture of what the good life is supposed to look like for us, and, and God always has a different story to write uh, than the one that we envisioned of our lives, of our ministries, of our families, etc. And that story that he is writing is always better. Um, but that story doesn't seem better necessarily because the story of God involves following Christ, which means our journey leads to a cross, to self-denial, to sacrifice, to loss, to suffering, to things that that we're not accustomed to. They're certainly not goals of ours, right? right. None of us, none of us, has a goal to be persecuted or to suffer, and yet that often ends up being the way that God shapes and forms us and builds us up, and even creates a great ministry around us, the kind that we've never expected. Like one of the most influential things that I've ever done uh, as a pastor is become depressed and anxious Mm. and need counseling and medication and be flattened and and incapacitated and emotionally unable to even carry on a conversation for a period of several weeks. That's actually one of the very best contributions that I've made to the kingdom of God is, is to be transparent and open about that season in my life, which has helped people uh, around me, you know, readers or you know people I preach to or teach or just friends, to realize wait. wait. Um, so you, we're normalizing struggle. We're normalizing suffering as part of the human experience and as part of the Christian experience. And so I, I think that anticlimactic experience you're describing, whether it's in our ministry or whether it's in our personal lives and journeys, it's really important, I think, to anchor in passages like 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh, which he you know, asks God three times to remove it. God doesn't remove it. And God brings him to a place of deeper humility because of that thorn. And Paul develops this solid, beautiful soul, which was was never his goal to, to get there by those means, but but it was the story that God wrote. And now, you know, God's been piercing millions of human hearts through that story ever since. And so we we can't discount the power of God, especially in in weakness and especially in those areas of our lives and ministries where they aren't going as we planned. But if we trust in the sovereignty of who God is and the way that God writes stories out of our lives, you know, anything that looks or feels like a cross, you know, that 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 shows up in the context of our our, our best efforts at faithfulness, rather than it, you know, concluding that God is against us or he's holding us back, maybe he's actually thrusting uh, our impact forward in ways that we don't even realize. I mean, Isaiah never knew what kind of influence he would have on the world, the prophet Isaiah. He never knew it. He right. got sawn in, he got sawn into, um, you know, by an evil king at a very young age. And during his whole life and ministry, people didn't listen to a thing that he said. Mm. They just mocked him and ridiculed him. He had no idea what 
what the future of his message would do to the world. And his his prophecy has become the most quoted Old, Old Testament book in the entire New Testament. And Handel's Messiah is is built around the message of Isaiah. And, and Isaiah is preached in pulpits all over the world, especially during Advent. And so just never underestimate the power of what God can do in your life, even in ways that you can't even see. Yeah, I love that, Scott. That's so beautiful, really, because and such an encouragement because we we all have those uh, those seasons or those times in ministry where we're being faithful and we're we're seeking God, but we sometimes just don't feel that uh, you know maybe we're we're not really making a difference. And sometimes we even get to those points where we question, man, did we did we make a wrong turn somewhere? Right? You know, mm-hmm. we've we been better off, but we've been doing something completely different. And so um, sure. for you to kind of sh- share that, I certainly appreciate that because that helps us kind of again find. Um, our identity, not in what we often see in society as being um, the most successful or effective when it comes to leadership, but our identity is in leadership and in, in the life, really, of Jesus Christ, who who did right. carry a cross to Calvary, right? And, and right. Uh, everything looked like it was closing down, and yet Jesus said, hey, I'm the resurrection and the life. And, and, and so it's such a, a beautiful picture. I appreciate that. Uh, you mentioned about this transparency about uh, how, how you went through your bout with uh, depression and how in the midst of that you were able to be open and share and God used that, redeemed, you know, that which which seemed like a, a very, I'm sure, difficult time, a difficult season, but to really open up more opportunities for um, conversation and, and, and ministry and impact. Can you talk to us a little bit, in, in your book Irresistible Faith, you you touch on this idea of of transparency and kindness. Um, talk to us a little bit about in ministry, because oftentimes, and I think that um, some of this is just baggage that we have maybe heard or brought upon ourselves is that, hey, we as ministry leaders need to kind of look like we've got it together, right? And um, mm-hmm. and yet there's this very real idea of living in community is, is living without masks. Mm-hmm. So how can we as, as ministry leaders you know, find kind of that that balance in there of leading, but not, you know, kind of um, trying to to be so caught up in making sure that that we look like we've got it all together. Yeah, well, that idea that we have to keep up the appearance of having it all together is a lot more of an American idea than it is a, a biblical one. I mean, clearly. Um, <laughs> I mean, who wrote the Book of Jonah? Right, right. Jo- Jonah <laughs> wrote the book of Jonah, and Jonah looks like a complete idiot by the end of Jonah. Um, you know, you've got Peter affirming the letters of Paul as Scripture, one very famous letter of which points out that that Peter acted out of line with the gospel, and Paul had to oppose him to his face, And you know, in the book of Galatians. And you've got... Um, you know, the Apostle Paul self-disclosing about his coveting in Romans 7 and, you know, that whole wretched man that I am, which, of course, is the setup for Romans 8 about how nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ and how there's no condemnation in Christ. And, you know, Paul's essentially living out the full message of the gospel to us in Romans 7 and 8. And then you've got um, you know, Paul at the end of his life and ministry where he's, you know, more virtuous and more faithful 
and more sanctified and developed in his faith than he's ever been. And that's where he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And so you see, you know, even, even Jesus being willing to take on the public reputation of, uh, of a glutton and a drunk, even though he was never actually a glutton or a drunk, mm. not even for a moment, but he was, he was made guilty by association just by virtue of the people he hung out with, but he was willing to be thought of that way, right? Despised and rejected. Um, we esteemed him not, you know, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him mm. and, and so on. And, and, you know, man of no reputation. I mean, you, you can go on and on and on and on, uh, uh, about how God's people willingly, um, you know, those who were not Jesus willingly owned their own flaws and very publicly. So David in the 51st Psalm and his confession of his adultery and murder, um, which he made public, right? He published it, right, um, right. you know, somewhere along the way, there is the power right there. Um, it, it, it's not a transparency that says, Hey, look at my wounds. Will you come lick them with me? Uh, it's, it's not this kind of, you know, <laughs> drawing attention to ourselves, sort of narcissistic, look away from Jesus so you can look at my wounds. No, our, 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 our own wounds, you know, now and calls it the wounded healer, are meant to be a step toward a demonstration of the grace and love of Christ who can save and love even somebody um, who struggles like I struggle. And, and that frees other people up. If done well and if done in a healthy way, you know, where our sufferings are meant and our struggles and our, our, our sins are meant or used by us to point people to Christ and what Christ has done in our lives in redeeming us through that stuff can give such um, encouragement to the people around us. You know, when I when I conf when I told our church here, uh, Christ Presbyterian in Nashville, uh, I was about I was here for about three years at this point, and uh, in a sermon I said, "Look, I'm gonna, I'm going to tell the church my depression story," and felt like maybe it might be a little bit of a risk because the church was still getting to know me a little bit and that sort of thing. Big church, haven't had a chance to personally sit down with everybody, and so I knew I could get judged and thought poorly of or whatever. But but I felt like you know God was really impressing on me that I need to share this story and point to the gospel through it. And there's this highly successful businessman, you know, who frankly intimidated me, comes up to me after that service. And I thought, you know, maybe he was going to start a movement to, you know, kick me out of the church or whatever. And he has this really intense look on his face and he grabs, you know, my shoulders and looks me square in the eye and I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> and, and, he, and he says, he says, you know, you're a really good communicator, and I'm not the least bit impressed by that. I just want you to know that. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so he says, but I do have one more thing to tell you. When you told your story and, and then pointed to what God's done in your life through that and the hope that he's given you through, you know, something like depression, today is the day because of that, that you became my pastor. Wow. I've been his pastor. For, I've been his pastor for three years. Right. And he said, today is the day that I'm letting you into my heart. Um, you know, wow. because, because you just demonstrated to me that, that you and I are so much more the same 
then we are different. The, 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 the shepherd is also a sheep and, and we need our shepherd to, to be one of us and, and to not stand above us. And, and really that's true. That's what we are. We're conduits. We are, we are a means toward Jesus and we are not, we are not anybody's Jesus. And if we try to be, it, it won't go well. Um, and, and so, you know, but it's gotta be appropriate, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, pastors gotta be careful about confessing sexual sin, um, because there are people in your congregation, you know, that's just going to be a trust killer, uh, especially for those who've experienced sexual abuse or trauma or stuff like that. So there's certain kinds of things you got to be really, really careful about and limit the groups, <laughs> you know, right. people that you, you disclose certain kinds of things because sometimes your specific types of vulnerability can actually increase, uh, you know, people's own feelings of vulnerability in your presence. And we, we, we have to always just be careful that whatever we're sharing is giving people more courage and not less, uh, to approach us and, and, and to trust us. And so I think sexual sin, we, we need, you know, sort of smaller groups of people that, that, that we share with, um, you know, who maybe share the same kinds of struggle and are of the same, gender and that sort of thing. But, but, but things like depression that are common to all sorts of people, which I wouldn't put in the category of a sin. I mean, it, it's, it's more of an affliction, right. but, um, you know, when we share our afflictions or when we share our sins, you know, in appropriate ways, uh, publicly, it, it, it can be incredibly empowering, uh, to people to, to, to give them courage to run to Jesus and to say, look, if, 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 if Christ can do that in this person's life, and if this person is not beyond being weak, my leader is not beyond being weak and a struggler and a sufferer, then that gives me hope to, to run more boldly to Christ and, and to the resources of Christ and, and to be confident that they're mine to claim as well. Yeah, that's so good. I, and I love that because that that idea of you know being transparent in an appropriate way, as you said— you know, it's it's pointing to Jesus. It's pointing to work of Jesus in our in, in our lives, and it is drawing people to the beauty of Christ and the transformation He can bring into their own lives. Which which is one of the things you know is interesting in in your book, Irresistible Faith. You know, one of the things that that we kind of it, you just kind of talked about in the beginning is that hey, when we look across kind of our society right now, the whole idea of Christianity is not necessarily something that we would describe as being irresistible. In fact, there are a lot of people that are pushing back really hard against um, Christianity as a whole because they've characterized it in in any of a number of ways, right? But whenever we're doing things like you just described, Scott, about being just open and honest with our people about those mm-hmm. some of those things that we struggle with, you know, that that uh, and we're not putting on those masks, we're not putting on those false pretenses that we've got it all figured out. Um, sure. But we're being honest. That is is one of those beautiful things. And that's why as we look throughout Scripture again and again and again, as you shared and as we've seen, as we read, people who are devoted to God, honoring God, they they are open with their flaws. And that is one of those things that helps people really give this whole idea of Jesus a deeper look, right? Uh, people yeah. who are outside the church because it's that that honesty and not trying to, you know, sell a bill of goods, right? It's it's being real, and people are looking yeah. for that authenticity. Absolutely, yeah. You know, you think it, it applies in every kind of human interaction. I mean, you think about parenting. 
the best parents are not the, not the ones who do everything right. I mean, that, that's just going to make the kid feel pressure. Mm. The best parents are the ones who, who do raise the bar. They don't lower it. They do raise the bar on, on things like character and being responsible and, you know, regarding the preciousness of others and that sort of thing. They raise the bar, but they also very freely confess and repent and apologize when they don't live up to the, own, the bar that they set. You know, the, the, the best parents are the ones who, you know, have a high bar, but they also humble themselves w when they fail it. Uh, right. And, and that is the same uh, when we're talking about neighbors, the best neighbors, uh, you know, neighbor in the, you know, person to person, life on life, sense of the word, places where you live, work and play. The best neighbors are the ones who don't come across as if they have something to prove, mm -hmm. uh, or as if they are hiding something. And the only way to not come across as if you have something to prove or as if you're hiding something is that you don't, you're not trying to prove something and you're not hiding something because the, everybody sees through it. You know, everybody can spot a fake. Everybody's radar is pretty good about that. And when we, when we fake, you know, our virtue as people of faith and act as if, you know, we've, we've got our act more together than the next guy, you know, it, it, it's more of a discrediting thing. Uh, for us in the eyes of a watching world than it is a, um, a credentialing thing, um, you know, for trust and making people want to hear, helping people hear what we want to want to share with them about Christ and the gospel. And so, so I agree with you. Right. No, that, that's, that's good. And, yeah. and, um, you know, just kind of staying on this topic of, of community, because I, I think this authentic community is one of the things that, that we have seen kind of compels people to, you know, take that closer look at, mm -hmm. at this kind of alternative community called the church and, and, um, those things that they might, might feel are, um, you know, kind of issues or things they've heard or things they've seen in the media or things they've read whenever they're faced with this authentic biblical community, all of a sudden they're like, wait a second, you know, this doesn't align with, with, uh, yeah. what, what I thought. And, and so one, one of those uh, things beyond transparency and just kind of that authenticity is, you know, as pastors, we, we can be criticized, right? That's just kind of the reality of, uh, of that. Sure. We, we, we get criticized and, and that does not feel fantastic. But as pastors, we can also um, at times be very critical. And, and sometimes mm. that moves into kind of, you know, real cynicism, which is yeah. not healthy either. So, yeah. so what practices can we kind of, I don't kind of embrace in our lives, both personally and in kind of corporately or, or you know, among our leadership, among our church, um, to help us kind of navigate this area of life when it comes to, you know, being criticized and how we deal with that, but then not allowing that to put us into a place where we just become kind of cynical. Cynical as, as sort of victims. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just kind of yeah. writing um, it off, you know, like. Yeah, I, I mean— Let's just say for the sake of argument that those who are put in the position of Christian leaders are more steeped in the gospel personally than the average person. And, you know, if that's the case, then 
we will carry with us uh, a a more um, constant awareness of the fact that any praise we get is in some ways undeserved. I mean, in some ways it's deserved, but in, in other ways, you know, the, the, there are plenty of things in our lives that, that would negate the praise as well if mm-hmm. people knew. And on the the other side of the coin, any criticism that we might receive, whether true or not true, is probably less severe than the real story of how messed up we are. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, there's this, uh, there's this pastor in my tribe, um, guy named Jack Miller. And, uh, you know, he's been deceased for, I don't know, 15, 20 years now. Um, started this organization called world harvest mission. He was a professor at Westminster seminary, et cetera, out of Phil, uh, out of uh, Philadelphia area. But, but he said, you know, he had gotten to the point uh, as he grew in his belief in in what the gospel is and what the nature of the human heart is and the capability of the human heart to to stray from God and and just the the relentless loving pursuit of God toward our straying hearts uh, as applied to him personally. When, when when that when that started to internalize in his life, he said criticism just became something. Um, that that was less and less painful over time and, and more and more and more an occasion for him to both himself appreciate the riches of the gospel and, and, and also use even being criticized as an opportunity to subtly preach the gospel. Um, case in point, he would respond to unfair criticism by saying, well, thank you, but you don't know the half of it, <laughs> you know, like that, that would be his standard response. And first of all, that's incredibly disarming to whoever it is that's criticizing you, especially if you're being sincere and not being snarky, but, but being truly sincere, like, like truly, I, I, I don't recognize, I recognize in myself, maybe 40% of the things you're saying right now, but, but truth be told, uh, it's a lot worse even than than what you're saying right now. And and so um, that is my starting point. I, I am a, an incomplete work in process. Uh, you're right, uh, at least about some things. Um, you know, Tim Keller, who I, <clears throat> I have been, you know, I have the privilege of having Tim as a mentor um, in my life and a, a friend and got to serve alongside him for five years at Redeemer in New York. And one, one of the things that <clears throat> became apparent pretty quickly uh, to me about Tim is I got to observe his private life. Several things, actually. One, the guy just still in, in his 60s devours the scriptures every single day, personally. He, he prays through the entire book of Psalms once a month reads through the entire Bible at least once a year and then reads, you know, somewhere around 80 books a year just, just to learn and grow and be, you know, feed his spirit. Very prayerful man, very unambitious, you know, it just enjoys the sound of Jesus name a lot more than he enjoys the sound of his own name, which is pretty incredible for somebody of his stature. Yeah. But what, what was so remarkable, uh, to me that, that, you know, I got to observe was the way that he would respond to criticism. You know, Tim is one of those guys who's got a target on his back, uh, 
uh, you know, from the enemy because there's some, just God's doing some, has done some marvelous work uh, through his life. And some of the ways that he gets targeted involves criticism that's just patently unfair. And, you know, he gets more criticized for views that he doesn't have than he does for views that he does have. Um, and, and just to watch how he would handle it. I've never, I never saw him strike back. I never witnessed him saying an ill word about anybody, never saw him retaliate. And what his standard way of, of handling criticism was, was to basically say, okay, um, this seems unfair, out of left field, far-fetched, but is there a kernel of truth in there somewhere that I can repent of? <laughs> you know, wow, right. like even if somebody's like out to get you, um, and to discredit you, you're still looking for maybe something in there, kind of like the, that, that, the buffoon, you know, shimmy eye, you know, that was hurling insults at David and all David's men <laughs> you know, saying, Hey, let's just kill him. Let's just chop his head off. And David said, Hey, maybe the Lord's got something, you know, for me <laughs> in, in what this guy's saying. And so let's, you know, not so fast. But that level of humility, it it doesn't just happen. I mean, it it takes a daily, long, you know, as Eugene Peterson would say, long obedience in the same direction. Just a daily feeding of the soul on the truths that that are not self-evident to prideful human hearts. They need to be worked in there. You know, number one, anything good that comes my way is a complete gift of grace, right? Uh, completely undeserved. Uh, and a complete cause for thanks and not an occasion for pride. And anything difficult that comes my way, you know, even criticism, even though it may be unfair and I may need to set up boundaries with certain people or, or people groups if I'm being attacked. I mean, that's healthy to set up boundaries when need be. But even in those occasions, is there a devotional response uh, between the Lord and myself? Um you know, where I can go to the Lord and say, hey, is there anything in there, <laughs> you know, that, right. that, that you, you might want to teach me? Because um, I, I find, you know, I've been pastoring for 23, almost 24 years now. And, you know, when you've do, been doing it for 24 years and you've planted, we've planted a couple of churches and along the way, there's just been some church crap, you know, and, right. and some friend breakups that, that every pastor experiences friend breakups, you know, you know, people that you think you're going to grow old together. And then, you know, their kid doesn't like the youth group and all of a sudden you're their enemy or whatever, you know, and, and, and it, and it, and it hurts, but it's also just one more occasion to lean in to, what Christ has for us. I mean, we, we, the most important thing, you know, Robert Murray McShane, the old preacher said, said that the very best thing that we can give to our people is our own personal holiness. Or, you know, I think another way of saying that is that we never, ever, ever, like Tim Keller, we never, ever, ever, ever stop that, that personal response to God's pursuit of us by pursuing him back. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, even Paul said, I, I delivered to you Corinthians, what the Lord first gave to me. And so we've got to keep making sure that, that, you know, the more, the more our hearts are filled with, with the grace that, that belongs to us in Christ, with the irresistibility of Christ himself, the more resources we're going to have emotionally and otherwise to, to be able to withstand whatever arrows 
the enemy wants to throw at us, whether through circumstances or criticisms or what, what have you. But, um, you know, over the years when I've been even unfairly criticized, there's usually been something in there that, that I really, you know, needed to learn. Um, and that's a hard lesson to, to learn over time, but, but it's worth considering, I think. Yeah, that, that's, that's so insightful. And, um, that's one of those things that you have to, um, you have to be intentional about because human nature, we, we want to, um, we just naturally put up defenses, right? So if someone's being critical, we just naturally, you know, kind of want to defend that. So, uh, but it's, it's just kind of such a, a beautiful place to be where we are intentionally saying, okay, yes, that, that might sting, uh, might be, not be completely true, but Lord, is there something in that? that I can learn from, right? And and that doesn't just come naturally. How can pastors kind of um, develop that that discipline, would you say? I don't know. I mean, I can only tell you what's helped me, and that is to make sure that there are some people in my life that I, that I really trust mm. who are safe people. I know that, that they have my best interest at heart, uh, who have have an open invitation and, and complete freedom to speak into my life when, um, you know, as Nathan did with David or as Paul did with Peter in Galatians two, um, to, to call me out. Um, it, it, if there are patterns of that, that true kind of spiritual friendship, I think one of the chapters in irresistible faith unpacks this. It, it's, you know, Matthew 18 and Galatians six working in the way that they're supposed to, um, you know, Matthew 18, the whole, you know, church discipline thing or whatever, it starts one-on-one and, and the design is, and the desire is for it to end there too. Um, you know, for it to stay fiercely private and, and sort of, you know, quote unquote, taking it to the church and so on becomes a very, very last resort. Um, but if, if our relationships can get to the level of depth and transparency and trust where, we can be regularly both encouraging one another and building each other up, you know, not flattering each other in fake ways, but, but, but really, you know, noticing what God's doing in each other's lives, catching each other doing good. That's how we describe it on our staff here at our church. Uh, or, you know, offering benedictions or pronouncing benedictions over one another, you know, the, the, the good word. When we develop that habit and create a climate like that, it, 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 it sort of puts enough deposits into the relational account to be able to say, but wait a minute, you know, what you just said there or that, that, that word of gossip, you know, that, that you just participated in, God's made you for more than that. Um, and and uh, I want to I call you out on that because I love you and and I know God wants more for you and I know you want more for yourself. And, and I think when we have that person or that small group of trusted people kind of constantly having both the, the building up conversations and, and the, you know, spurring one another on, right? Like what does a spur do to a horse? It, it's, it, it creates a little bit of a side injury, right? <laughs> right. Um, there's a little bit of a cut and a sting with a spur, but, but, but the spur also helps the horse run at full speed. Uh, whereas without the kick of the spur every now and then, the horse may only trot along at 
capacity when that, that, that thing can fly with the right kind of encouragement and, and the right kind of correction. And we're made to live in community that way. Like the whole like superficiality of like going to church with somebody for 20 years and being in a small group together for 20 years and, you know, and, and, and still have no idea what each other, you know, what, what our besetting sins are or our deepest struggle, because all we talk about is sports mm. or we talk about theology, but on such a superficial level that we keep so far away from our hearts and from personal application. And we just become theology nerds, uh, who aren't godly, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, 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 um, yeah, God has, I, I think, given us a mechanism for community that is, can be so much richer than that. But we've got to have the courage to step in to, you know, invite one another to, to speak the truth and love, you know, back and forth to each other. And that, that kind of practice, that kind of formation practice in, in healthy community prepares us for the unfair darts and targets that come. You know, it kind of builds the muscle memory of the soul to, to respond graciously instead of defensively. But I, I think just having that community around us is, is the first step. That's, that's good. And, yeah. and um, we're coming to a close at this okay. point. And uh, certainly appreciate you being with us, Scott. Thank you so much for sharing. If someone wants to uh, connect with you or learn more about either your newest book, Irresistible Faith, or um, some of your other writings in your ministry, how could they best do that? So I, I do have a website where everything is there. It's scottsauls.com. I don't know if you have show notes where you put links and stuff yeah, like that. But yeah, S-C-O-T-T-S-A-U-L-S dot com. And, um, you know, there's a books page there. There's, a I think, a place you can click for sermons. And I do a weekly blog that, that people can sign up for. And it'll, you know, go straight to their inbox, usually on Wednesdays. So... And, and our church is uh, Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, uh, and that's uh, uh, ChristPres.org. Um, you can find out about us there. Awesome, brother. Thank you so much, Scott. We will have all that in the show notes for our listeners. So once again, thank you for making the time to, to be with us and share from your heart. We certainly appreciate it. Thanks so much. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance, and if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the Faith Play app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well, and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.